Well, the first thing I want to do is um, just tell you how honored I am to be the second in the series in the Centennial series. What a cool deal. What a rare thing it is for any organization or institution or organism to maintain its life and its values and its essentials for five years, let alone a hundred. And by all is that profound, consistent, bright light all over the world. I stumbled in about 26 years ago. I was a drugged out guy who had lost all hope after being a baseball pitcher and his girlfriend left him to being drugged up and messed up. And finally, my high school students, when I was teaching, they brought me to Christ. And nine months later, I'm in seminary here. And I don't know who the Apostle Paul is. And this family let me come in and let me stumble in and grow up and get grounded. So I'm deeply, deeply honored to be here. I want to shout out to uh, Michael Martin and <laughs> Megan DeForest and Eric Asari, and, and those are people from back in my town and back in my church. I entitled this message, When You Get Tired Enough. Because sooner or later it's going to happen. I don't know, maybe it's already happened. Somebody, some guy, and he's going to be very slick and tight and together and really articulate, and he is going to come in here, and maybe he's already been here, or he'll be here soon, or maybe you've heard him for a long time, and he will be compelling, and he will be charismatic and magnanimous and strong and powerful and eloquent. And he's going to tell you to sell out and buck up and get strong and get fired up and walk worthy and get on with it and live this life and come on, sell out, stop being half-hearted. And he will be impressive and he will be dynamic and you will be overwhelmed and you'll go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that, all right. And because you are the best and brightest and the sharpest, you'll buy it. And he'll tell you to do some things. He'll give you some techniques. He'll give you some external kind of stuff that you should do if you were any kind of Christian. After all, God's done for you. And you'll try it. And you'll try so hard. And it will not work. And you'll get disillusioned and you'll get cynical and you'll get jaded and you'll get ticked off and you'll get frustrated. And here's this really tragedy. You'll start to think that God doesn't work. And then you'll cover up. And you'll hide and you'll bluff and you'll act like, hey, I'm doing great. Yes, sorry, Bob Diddley. We're, woo. <laughs> And inside you won't be. Hundreds of books, hundreds of books out there in bookstores trying to convince you that you should be and can be with enough effort. You could do more, be more. (laughs) And you'll become suckers for those who will bring all sorts of hype and technique and death to self sounding things that you can do if you really want to be a sold out man or woman of God. 
Somewhere, you guys, now it's enough. You're not kids anymore. You're not, you're, this is not your parents' faith anymore. This is your faith. Somewhere, somebody is going to come to you and you're going to have to decide, am I going to be sanctified? Am I going to grow up by the flesh and works or by grace and identity in Christ? And until you decide that, you will be a sucker for all those guys who've come in. I went to a great seminary. I went to Talbot, several hundred yards away. <laughs> and I had great professors, Holloman and Sosi and Rigsby and all those great guys. But I had one professor who guilted me into trying to pray more. He said, you know, I tell you what, preachers today... They, they pray an average of six to eight minutes a day, and that is it, and that is unacceptable. And at the time, I thought, yeah, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to, you know, and he gave me a book and gave all of us books and said, there's men of God in here who preach two, they pray two, three hours a day. I said, I want to be like that. I want to be a man of God. Okay, I'll get, I'll get on with it. And, and so I did. I started trying to pray an hour a day because I wanted to be a godly man. And godly men pray an hour a day. I'll pray an hour a day. And so I started. And up until that time, I loved prayer. I just loved prayer. I loved to pray. But I started my, my godly man hour. And to my credit, I want to tell you, for six, seven minutes, I was awesome. I mean, I was praying, and I wasn't repeating myself. I was, uh, whoo, <laughs> yeah. At about 10 minutes, it got ugly. I did. I started repeating myself. I started <clears throat> praying for travel mercies. And, um, <laughs> several unspoken requests came in at that time. Started going to other countries around the world, and by name, you know, going to Taiwan. I want to pray for Ling Chow. Um, I don't know if there is a Ling Chow, but if there is, today, Lord, I would like you to um, surround him with a hedge of emollients or something, anything. And I'm looking at my watch and I'm going, I hate this! Because I did it. I bought into it. I didn't have the heart for what I was trying to do. I instead bought a technique. And instead of trusting who Christ said I am, and out of that having the joy of talking with him and pouring my heart out to everyone, I learned, I learned to bluff and start to play a religious man that was not me. And I'm just now, years and years and years later, crawling out of that mess. Are you a saved but largely unchanged disappointment to God? Or are you a non-condemned, adored new creature with Christ in me? It'll change everything. You're going to have to figure out, are you going to live this life from willpower in the flesh and ought in law or out of trust in who God says you are right now on your worst day? 
You see, the behaviors will look very similar, whether you're appealing to flesh or a new life in you. In this word, I learned it here that this word is inerrant and inspired. It's true. And although all words are inspired and errant, not all words in here are as important as other ones. The list of genealogies in Second Kings are not as important as what I'm about to read. For in here, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, and this needs to become a life verse, you guys. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I, not the old John Lynch who lives, but Christ lives in me. We're fused together. And the life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I'm not, see, are you going to be, are you this guy who's saved or this girl who's saved, but you're a miserable failure, always disappointing to God? One day perhaps I'll get better and maybe I'll almost please him, but for right now I know I'm disgusting to him and I'm going to get to heaven, but... I know I'm a grave disappointment. Is that true? Or is this true because of the shed blood of Christ on my worst day? I'm Christ in John Lynch. And the same is true for every single one of you who has asked Christ into your heart. Another one of those verses. Romans 8.1 Therefore... There is now, no matter what you did yesterday, today, or tomorrow, because of the shed blood of Christ, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not even yours. That's how powerful Christ's love is in you. If you get that, then listen to the power of grace. He says, here, 614 Romans, sin shall not be master over you anymore because you're going to buck up and try real hard and have accountability groups. No! Because you're not under law, but by grace, you're under grace. And you have this new life in you and you can trust it and depend upon it, lean upon it. It's what Paul says to Timothy. It's all over scripture, you guys. You, 2 Timothy 1, chapter 2, verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus that alone can make you stand. And that's true on your worst day. This is also true on your worst day. Oh, gosh, you guys. Don't let anybody lie to you. It's true. Jesus says to you, and to you, and to you, not so much to you, but, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he says it to all of you guys. As my father has loved me, in the Greek, literally, to that exact extent, I love you. As my father loves me, and I'm thinking, call me old-fashioned, but I'm thinking that's some significant love. He says, I love you. Now, come here, come here, come here. Don't run. You don't ever have to run. Abide in my love. I know what you did. I know what you're going to do tomorrow. I know what you're going to do next Thursday. Come, come here, come here. Abide in my love. 
I'm a new creature in Christ, Galatians 2.20. Sin will never be master over me because I'm not under law, but I'm under grace from that shed blood, Romans 6.4. Therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ. That's John Lynch, Romans 8.1. 2 Timothy 2.1. My son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. John 15.9. As the Father loves me, so also I love you. Whenever you hear somebody telling you to swim faster, do more, buck up, or try harder, come on now, come on! Don't let yourself be appealed to by the flesh. It will sound so good. It will sound so stinking heroic and it won't do anything and you'll get disillusioned and tired and burned out and weary and frustrated and you'll start playing religion and you'll wear a mask. See, what this will do if I buy the flesh part, I learn to trust no one. It's just God and me and I'll try to present an idealized self to others. Don't you hate when you see it? The very thing that this generation cannot tolerate is lack of vulnerability. The thing that you cannot stand about your parents' religion is that it was inauthentic. Is that everybody's doing, how you doing, Frank? Doing fine, Floyd, good to see you, doing great. And everybody's hurting and no one will tell each other. It's like we're a generation of people with broccoli in their teeth and no one can tell them. (laughs) And you become hidden. Some of you already have learned it. And you start putting on a mask. Because you want to be loved and you don't want to be felt sorry for. So you pretend you're someone else. And what someone needs to tell us is the only problem with masks is when I wear a mask, only my mask gets loved. I never get loved. And so constantly, I keep putting things on so that I think that you will love me if I wear the right mask. And instead, I desperately wonder, why am I not receiving the love of others? And if I keep believing this hype of the flesh, I will stay immature and self-righteous, and I will get tired and weary and defeated, and I'll become religious and not intimate and vulnerable and real. I wish someone had told me this next statement when I was in school. I thought, okay, I'm this sold-out man. I've come across the desert in this old Volkswagen. I I have left all my friends behind, and I am going to by myself privately become this godly man, and then I'll go into public, kind of like John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul. Here's the truth from this word. Character is formed in relationships and tested in isolation. Most of us want to say character is formed in isolation and then shown off in relationships. The truth is, character is formed in relationship. You will not mature just reading books. You will not mature in isolation. God tests what is tested out. How do I find out about love until I discover someone that's not easy to love? How do I learn to trust God in those kind of things where my heart gets broken and hurt and I get wounded unless I have a relationship where that gets to be lived out? 
See, we'd like to find a formula that would allow us to isolate ourselves long enough with God and come out with all the virtues and maturity and love and humility. And, and so we'll create a series of techniques and, uh, and willpower and, and think that isolation will make us mature. Bunk. Do you know what humility is? God says, I protect the humble. And the humble are these. Those who have learned to trust some others and God with themselves. Those are the humble. And those are the ones that God protects and stands with and builds up. You see, you can have knowledge without ever having to learn trust. You can get information, 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 and it will just, Scripture says, make you arrogant. But knowledge does not transform you. Only truth transforms anyone. And truth is never imparted without trust. That's why it's so odd. You, you don't know what to do. You don't know, is this guy a trustworthy guy? I'm listening to this guy. Can I trust this guy? And that's why I try to tell stories of my life and all those things. So you'll say, okay, he's safe because I want you to be able to trust what is being said so that you can um, learn truth and not just information. This semester, you guys, this is, this is I know these words are, are confusing maybe for some, this semester, I'd love you to dare something. I know some of you are in accountability groups, and that's great, I guess. <laughs> but the trouble with accountability, guys, I want to tell you this, it is a function of law. You, you know what accountability does? See, accountability is great for job descriptions and different things, but for relationships, what it does, it takes my very best friends and it makes me resent and hide from them. I learn to hide and resent the very ones who most want to protect me. Ah, oh, there there's the word. What I need is protection, not accountability. I don't want to hide from you. I want to be able to tell the worst that is true about me. You guys, here's a magical truth. If I could find a place where the worst of me could be known... And I would discover that in the revelation of that, that I would be loved more and not less. Do you know that my unresolved issues would start to go away? If I could find two, three, four people on this campus where I could tell the very worst about me and, and, and know that I would not be judged or second-guessed or, or left out or pulled back from it. Instead, he said, John... Now you've finally given me a chance to love you and I will love you with all my heart and I will protect you and I will stand against all those things that would hurt you. Do you know that it would heal me? Do you know that it would protect me? Do you know that it would build me up? A safe place, you guys. Because love's the process of meeting needs. Nothing less, nothing more. Anything else is hallmark sentimentality. So when I come to you and I present to you that I don't have any needs and that I'm doing fine and everything's okay, you never get to love me. But if I could tell you, you guys, I'm hurt and I'm scared and I'm messed up and I've failed and I failed at this again, and I want you to know something that happened to me when I was 11. And when that friend says to you, 
I will not go away. In fact, I will not love you less. I will love you more because you give me a chance to love you. That's when healing begins, you guys. On this campus. See, some of you, I know you're playing games. And I know there's people saying, John, don't teach them grace. These people need to be really convicted and really roughed up. The truth is, no amount of external controls will ever be able to win your heart if you're playing a game with God. No amount of challenge or guilt or command. But here's why you need to leave this route of grace open. So that when it happens, and it will happen, something's going to hit, a girlfriend or leave, or a friend's going to die, or you're going to feel too alone or too hurt, and you'll get too tired of your parents' religion. And the goal is that you would see Jesus clearly, not as the bad cop with a club who's ready to hit you, so that when you're ready, you'll have this clean path home. And the anesthetizing religion of guilt and ought and right behavior will not be there to block your path home. You see, guys, on your worst day, you really are clean and holy and alive and forgiven and new and beautiful and acceptable and complete and spirit-indwelt and adored and chosen and adopted and able and intimately loved and smiled upon and planned for and protected continually. You're thought about. You're not just loved, you are liked. You're enjoyed, you're cared for. You're comforted and understood. You're known completely. You're given all mercy and compassion. You're guarded. You're matured. You're, you're bragged on. You're defended. You're valued. You're esteemed. You're held. You're hugged and caressed and kissed. And you are heard and you're honored and you're in unity with and you're favored. You are enough. You are lacking nothing. You're directed and guided continually. You're never failed. You're waited for. You're anticipated. You're part of. You belong. You're never, ever, ever, ever alone. You're praised. You're secure. You're safe. You're believed. You're appreciated. You're given all grace all patience, you're at peace with, you're pure and righteous and shining and precious. You're cried over, you're grieved over. You're strengthened, you're emboldened, you're relaxed with, you are never, ever on trial. You're never frowned at, you're delighted in, you're at rest in. You receive complete access. You're given gifts, given dreams, given new dreams. You're continually healed. You're nurtured. You're continually sheltered from the full brunt of devastation. Shame is being taken care, taken away from you. You're carried. You're never mocked. You're never punished. Most of your jokes are enjoyed. You're partnered with. You're not behind. You're not outside. You're given endless affection. This semester... This semester, you guys, let it become yours. No more inauthentic dead religion. Ask yourself these questions. Am I holding on to God or is he holding on to me? Because if it's just you holding on to God, you're, you are sunk. Because you will bluff and fall back and you will drift away and you will go away. But he will never stop holding on to you. 
Are you trying to love God more? Or are you learning how to let God love you? Oh, you guys, if you get that one, oh, you got it. Are you learning how to let God love you? Stop trying to prove to God that you love him more. He goes, yeah, 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 whatever. We love him because he first loved us. Are you trying to please God or are you learning to trust God? See, pleasing God is, <laughs> what must I do to keep him pleased? Okay, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, without faith, pistos, trust, it's impossible to please him. So here you are over here trying so hard to please him. And it's all about you and you never learn to trust and you never please him enough. But if over here, you're trusting God with you that he says, John, I wear a, you have a robe of righteousness on you on your worst day. I got you covered. I'm crazy about you. There's no condemnation. My father loves you, so also I love you. You've got a new nature. You're fused with me. And you say, you know, it doesn't feel like it today, but I'm going to choose to believe you. He says, oh, John, John, you're trusting me. You've never pleased me so much in your whole life, by the way. Are you trusting grace for salvation and then your flesh for sanctification? Or are you trusting grace for your sanctification? Remember what Paul said, 2 Timothy 2.1, My son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. It alone can make you stand. Are you trying to change? Or are you already changed? And now it's time to trust him. I, I love this thing. It's in our book, True Face. If you haven't bought True Face, just go buy it, please. I don't even care if you like it. Just buy it. I've got, I've got two kids in Christian college. Would you help me? I, I don't want to go to prison. Please. In that book is this quote. He says, if, I, if we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to describe its DNA, he would say this, I know it looks like a caterpillar to you, but scientifically in every testable DNA result, this is fully and completely a butterfly. Wow, God's wired into a creature looking nothing like a butterfly, a perfectly complete butterfly identity. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day display the attitude and the attributes and behavior of a butterfly. The caterpillar matures into what is already true about it. So it is with us, you guys. And in the meantime, yelling at the butterfly and telling him to be more like a butterfly will just hurt his little ears. God's given us the DNA of godliness, you guys. We're saints, we're righteous, and he knows our DNA. He says, I know who you are. He says, will you believe it? Because if you did, if you stood in it, do you know that it would actually mature you and you'd sin less? Are you a saved sinner or a saint who sometimes sins? Are you working to become righteous or are you actually wearing his robe of righteousness right now by faith? Are you living like God is over there and your sin is between you or are you convinced that he is over here with his arm around you? See, most of us have had this picture. It's, it's in true face. We talk a lot about it. Where once God was here, but now because of all the wrong things we've done since we've come to Christ, God's way over there and it feels like he's going, oh, I'm so disgusted with him. I had so much hope for him. I really thought that he was going to be used by me, but he, you know, I don't want to talk to you. 
You disgust me. And I want to yell to him and say, I, please, this time I mean it now. I'm really serious. But it's like he's too far away and he can't hear me. What if because of the shed blood of Jesus that that was never true since the moment you become a Christian, that you're never separated from him? What if the shed blood was that powerful? What if Jesus walks all the way up to you? Right now. Right in the middle of whatever you think you've got going and is scaring you and hurting you and frightening you. Things that you think will never be resolved. Things that you know about yourself that break your heart where you violate yourself. What if right in the midst of it today, behind the veil where you cannot see, but it is true, he walks up and he smiles that smile that no other human can smile. And he puts his hands on your shoulders. And then he touches your face and strokes your hair and holds you so tightly and says, I know, I know. I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not mad. I've known before the world began and I'm crazy about your kid. And then what if, after a long time, he put his arm around you and together you both looked at your sin? He might say something like, <clears throat> my, 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 <laughs> that is a lot of sin. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Don't you ever sleep? <laughs> Golly! <laughs> And then he'd say, and we'll work on it when you're ready, kid. I got your back. I'm crazy about you. Now, you guys, you're going to have to decide how you're going to live it. Are you going to buck up and sell out and get fired up and buy somebody's hype and try real hard in the flesh And it will break your heart and disappoint you and you'll put on a mask and you'll try to act like you're a Christian and you will drift away. Or will you depend upon what Christ died for? Not just to get you to heaven, but to live in you right now on your worst day. It's true, you guys. It's for us. The ragamuffins who should have never gotten Father God, these precious ones who are going to turn this world upside down, who are going to be used by you until you return, Father, let them not walk away from these truths. Let them stand in their identity and live these beautiful lives for you on their worst day. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed.